1: and 365-day returns. Welcome back to UK TV's brand new podcast, A Stab in the Dark, where once again we open the casebook on crime fiction and TV crime drama. In this episode, I'll be talking to author Anne Cleves, who created characters such as Shetland's Jimmy Perez, and author Iasa Sigurdadottir, who sets her stories in Iceland, the country, as opposed to the frozen food chain. And we're going to be talking about islands. Both Anne and Isa have set stories on wild, windy, and wonderful places in the middle of the ocean. So, what makes island set stories so fascinating? Do the islands have any effect on the characters themselves? And does the island itself become a character in the stories? We'll also be hearing from both Anne and Isa as they give us their top picks for what to read and what to watch when it comes to unmissable crime stories. My name's Mark Billingham. Welcome to A Stab in the Dark. Welcome to you both. Um, let's start with you, Anne. You're, you're well known for, uh, for your other characters, Inspector Ramsey, and of course, Vera Stanhope, so brilliantly uh, played on television by the fabulous Brenda Blethen. But I really want to talk about the Shetland series. You've released two new Jimmy Perez uh, stories this year, the novella Too Good to be True and the novel Cold Earth. Could you tell us a little bit about them?
0: Well, Too Good to be True was a quick read, so that's for people who are adults new for reading, so you don't want to talk down to them. The, the content has to be grown up but the language has to be quite simple. And that was a real challenge to write because suddenly you're back to basics and you have to think, what story really about? You know, what, what, am I, what do I really want to say in this? So I had great fun writing that. And yes, Cold Earth is, takes us back to Shetland, which I love. Uh, and it starts with a massive landslide cutting the island in half and it sweeps through a, a small croft house And in its wake, it leaves behind the body of a woman and nobody knows who she is. Mysterious, dark-eyed, dark-haired woman in a red silk dress in February in Shetland. And of course, because we're crime writers, she wasn't killed by the landslide. She was already dead. (laughs) Of course she was.
1: (laughs) When when you started the series, did you ever think it it would run on as long as it did? Was that the intention?
0: No, it was going to be a standalone novel. My editor said to me, um, I, yeah, I really like this, but it would stretch credibility too far to have more than one book killing people off in Shetland, which has a population of about twenty-two thousand people. A bit like Iceland, really. I suppose a similar sort of idea. Um, but but we're still killing people off in Shetland. <laughs> hey, if they can get away with it in Midsummer, <laughs> I know. You know,
1: I, th- I think you can get away with it on the Shetlands. So why that choice of the Shetlands then, when you when you wrote the first Jimmy Perez? Why the Shetlands?
0: Because I knew it well. I dropped out of university and got a job there cooking in a bird observatory, which was great fun and got to know the island, got to know the islanders. And because I write quite traditional crime fiction, it's perfect for that because there's a a small enclosed communities where everybody knows each other's secrets, where outsiders are noticed and talked about. And that, that idea of if a crime is committed, it must be somebody on the island who's done it. You know, harks back to Christie and the, the boat on the Nile and the train stuck in the snow. And it is just a fascinating place. I love it. I love the bleak landscape and the long horizons and that landscape where nothing is hidden, where you can see as far as you, you possibly can. There are no trees in Shetland, or very few. The contrast between that and the idea of, of secrets and things that are hidden Below the cold earth.
1: Yeah, well, I definitely want to talk a lot more about this idea of, of what an island brings to a story and the, and the, and the landscape and the, and the sort of the unique setting of an island. Um, Irsa, you, you, your new novel, which is out at the moment, called "Why Did You Lie?" Four strangers stranded on a kind of spike of rock off the, uh, the Icelandic Sea. One thing in common: they've all lied. Tell us a bit more about that.
2: Yeah, <laughs> this was my tenth book for grown-ups, and uh, so I wanted to sort of make it a special edition <laughs> type of thing. So I brought in three uh, separate plot strands to make it more difficult to write and, and hopefully more interesting but to read. You deliberately made
1: it more difficult did for yourself. I
2: deliberately <laughs> did that, yes. <laughs> yeah. And so so it's it's the people on the, the, on the lighthouse and it's people coming home from abroad uh, after doing a house swap or home swap. Okay. And they find that the people that they swapped with seem to have disappeared, the people that were supposed to be in their house. And then a policewoman whose husband has committed suicide for apparently no reason, she finds an old uh, police report where he's being interviewed as a child about a suicide similar to his. So I brought these three things and then braided them together into, like, one story.
1: And this was something that you felt you could do in a standalone story better than in one of your series books?
2: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I've written, I think, three standalone novels, and, and, and they are... Uh, there's more freedom, I guess that would be the word, because everybody's disposable, you know, every single character. <laughs> so, so you, yeah, so you don't have to, you know, take care or or, or develop them in the same way and same manner as you do in a series. Do you ever feel like doing, I, I often
1: feel like uh, winding my editor up by sending in a synopsis of the new book that starts with the main character's funeral? Just to sort of see the reaction and see the angry emails you get. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. That, just that's,
2: me? Yeah, sure I'll do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But,
1: but, but, but that thing of... Sort of Do you alternate standalones with the series books? I mean is that, is that going to be a, a, a sort of long term? No I, I did
2: I did the I did like five books in the Thoto series and then I did a standalone then one last one for the Thoto series and then two standalones and now I'm on a, on the third book of a new series the first of which is coming out in March here in, in the UK. I, it's very hard to write something because it's expected of you or, or or it might be the smartest marketing thing to do that just doesn't work for me. I have to write somehow. I don't but think I really it writes love... for most writers, oh, exactly, though,
0: do yeah. you, Mark?
1: I think if you grow tired of it, the reader will very quickly go yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So,
0: and you need to end a series when people still want more, I think, which is why my next book will be the last Shetland book.
1: Yes, I was going to ask about that. Oh, last yeah. meaning, that's it. Or is there a kind of never say never, no yeah, drawing well, well, line I, under I it? Yeah, well,
0: I did do an event with Ian Rankin, and he said, ah, oh, Good luck with that. Yes. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. No more Rebus. How many does that make, Anne? Eight. eight. It, it will, okay. well, well, it will yeah, be, it yeah, will be eight at yeah. the end when, when, it's, when the last one's done. It's start. a good
1: round number if you're going to stop. You you can't see Anne's face, but there's a kind of, there's a mischievous smile. (laughs) There's definitely a mischievous (laughs) smile, so we will have to see. Um, So just going back to to the notion of islands, um, authors as diverse as Plato, Enid Blight and Agatha Christie have used the isolation of an island to very good effect. And on TV too, we see it all the time, whether it's Bergerac on Jersey or more recently Death in Paradise, which can both currently be seen on Drama Channel. So what is it? about an island. Why are they such popular places to to set stories in such popular places for, you know, for stories from a viewers and readers point of view?
0: There's something very romantic about islands isn't there? You see it, you come to it from a distance and you just see it as a smudge on the horizon whether you're flying in or or boating in and then suddenly it becomes more known so it's it's quite a mysterious place but then it is possible to know it quite well because it has a defined boundary. So all those things I think make it really interesting a to write about. It's a smallish
1: island though, doesn't it? I mean, you know, we live on an island but it's a pretty big one. Yeah. But there has to be something a little bit geographically limited and in, in terms of population as well. I
0: think so and, and it's it's like any remote cut-off community would probably work that if there is a tragedy you're likely to know the person who's or the family who are involved in a in a place in a community that that's small. And so it it has an impact on, on everyone. And I think that's what I was trying to do in Cold Earth, that the, the landslide fractures the island by separating it, but it also fractures that sense of reassurance and community that's there beforehand.
1: What about you, So What do you think about setting stories on islands?
0: I must say, because I'm from Iceland,
2: it was just sort of, uh, uh, that's the place I know, so I set it in Iceland because that's where I'm from, yeah. really. But I, but I do think it, like, like, like Anne was describing, it does have some sort of mysterious element to it and this you can't get away without somebody knowing I mean you really couldn't leave Iceland without somebody knowing that you left unless you hide on a boat and I don't think that's possible anymore they know that you've left
1: so if you, yeah. you fly over to the UK there's a little sign somewhere that just goes minus
2: one they kind of yeah no, I guess yeah. Is yeah. 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 somebody has to come in replace <laughs> no, no but I mean you know they could trace it not that they follow up on everybody but they could you, they would be able to find out when you left when you return and so on
0: and Shetland well, is so small that somebody that you know would have seen you get on the ferry or yeah. you always meet people you know at the airport when you're way off or in the ferry terminal it's like Meeting of old friends when you arrive. Oh, hello! You're back.
1: I, I think until you experience that, it's very hard to actually even appreciate that that stuff happens. You know, living in a big city, uh, that it can be that small. And, and that yeah, I'd, I'd never. I used to read a lot of stuff. You know, I read Five on Craggy Island or whatever it is when I was a kid. Um, I'd never set something on an island. Then I wrote a book set on Bardsey Island, which I know you know well, Anne. Yeah. Uh, and and going there, I kind of went, oh, I get it. I mean, it is it is a very tiny, very tiny island, but it does have a very odd atmosphere there's loads of myth and folklore you literally can't leave the island i mean it's not like people will know if you leave you cannot leave. Yeah. and the other thing of course is it's incredibly useful from a crime writer's point of view there's no cctv you can't get a mobile phone signal all that stuff and i really just thought god i wish i'd done this before yeah. it, it is very useful for a crime oh writer, it is
0: it? it's a wonderful device yeah and that's, that's that's very true
1: so Ersie, you mentioned that, that you're from iceland um and it's a place we suddenly kind of know, or think we know much more about, certainly in terms of crime fiction, a lot of very, aside from yourself, a lot of emerging authors like Ragnar Jonas and TV series like Trapped. But what is it actually like to live there? Because I think I think most people uh, have a very kind of cliched idea probably about what Iceland is. It's cold and there's geezers and they all eat rotting shark and stuff. We, but most people generally have no idea what Iceland is like.
2: I think it's the best place to live in the world. Of course, I, I course you do. Yeah. <laughs> but that, I mean, everybody thinks that of their right. own place. So So... So that's maybe not saying much, but it is really nice. And it's not as cold as the name implies. For example, they should really swap Greenland and Iceland. Yeah, it's the
1: Greenland, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, because
2: Greenland was found by someone who came back and wanted everybody to think he'd found this great, magical, wonderful place. So he called it Greenland. It's totally white, covered with glaciers and snow. And Iceland, the guy who named Iceland, he... He had had been a failed settler, and he didn't want people to know what a loser he was. So he called it Iceland <laughs> to, to say, like, this is so horrible. I, even I had to leave.
1: It comes across as a very sometimes a very harsh place to live in terms of the landscape. Very beautiful, very harsh. Do you think that that has an effect on the Icelandic character? Is there such a typical thing uh, as a you know what's a typical Icelander?
2: A typical Icelander is pretty easygoing, and uh, we ha- if, if we had like a crest or, or, or what do you call it, crest. Yeah. The slogan would be right. which means "Oh, don't worry, it'll be okay," because that's 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 how the country <laughs> no is. Don't yeah, worry yeah, about it. don't worry about it; it'll be fine. And that's how that's sort of the the what the phrase that would best describe, I think, the mentality, which does come from how hard life was up till about the fifties. After after the Second World War, it became easier. We were the poorest country in Europe until that time.
1: But of course, you're now challenging that that don't worry about it, everything will be all right idea in your fiction because, of course, you're giving these characters lots of things to worry about. So, you know, how how does an Icelander cope with... With murder, how does it, I mean, I, yeah. I was struck many years ago reading an Elder and Dridison novel. Uh, and it was a missing persons case, I think it began with. And there's a moment in the police station where one of the detectives says something like, do you know how many people go missing every year in Iceland? Seven. And I thought, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. this is a very, <laughs> yeah. just crime is different because it of the, the size and the population. Yeah, and, so on.
2: and I was, uh, I mean, we, there were 320,000 people and we have 653 cops. That's it. Okay
1: what's so, up ahead my maths is terrible. Uh, not I many. yeah
2: that's not very many. Uh, well, that's so, How so, many
1: cops
0: in Shetland? A couple? No. I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think there's certainly a police inspector and, and probably a team of half a dozen maybe and a community policeman maybe up on on one of the northern isles I'd have to check. Wow. But um not very many. No.
2: And they're probably the same as Icelandic cops they're not very they're not challenged much by the criminals. No. No. no.
0: Uh, we have th- really crappy crime. Yeah, <laughs> <Right>. crappy, <laughs> crime. <laughs> crappy crime. Crappy <laughs> crime. I got got um, got on, got phoned up by a journalist who apparently Shetland is the drugs capital of Europe. She said because people are thinking that it's easier to smuggle drugs into Shetland than anywhere else in Scotland, I, and there are now sniffer dogs in the t- in the ferry terminal and the airport, but. I'd never seen any evidence of it.
1: And what about the the character of a typical Shetlander, How would you define
0: that? I think they're really quite dynamic and they're quite canny. They're very sensible. They're they're very Scandinavian, I think, more Scandinavian than Scots. So when oil was found off Shetland, the council negotiated a really good deal where they would allow be perfectly happy for the oil to come ashore in Shetland but they would take a percentage of every barrel that came ashore and all that money was put into trusts five trusts five charitable trusts and there was an arts trust which is why you know young kids could learn music for free they got their musical instruments for nothing the smallest uh, settlement has a swimming pool and a leisure center and you know, yeah. uh, so we have that amazing art centre, Muriel on the on the waterfront in Lerwick, which was built with oil money, and so they're not daft, and they and they work really hard. They're real grafters. So, fishing still earns more money for the islands than oil does.
1: So. Well, and, and and how many Shetlanders generally leave the island? I mean, is it is it? It's not an easy thing to do. It's not a kind of you, you know, it's not something you can do at the drop of a hat. Presumably, I mean. Well, there are flights, a Planet a bit.
0: <laughs> yeah, flights every day down to Edinburgh or Aberdeen but they do get disrupted by weather sometimes you just you just have to allow a bit of time young people go south for university and college quite often but again because oil money has meant that the council can employ lots of people in teachers and social workers and arts workers that people do tend to come back it's it's changed a bit because There's not so much oil, and the money that was on deposit in the trusts isn't earning as much interest. So suddenly, life is dreadful because they can't just put up whatever they want. You know, it's it's a bit more limited now for money, and maybe that's a bit like Iceland too after the banking crash. Yeah, yeah, things are tighter.
2: Yeah, that was that was a difficult period. Yeah, (laughs) and that also shows that this, you know, oh, it'll be okay. It Doesn't work in banking. (laughs) It's not a good way to operate uh, a large banking system, but. But that has we have recuperated quite quite nicely, and a lot of that has to do with uh, um, the the tourism industry, which has come in it's become like a
0: third of the economy I think, and it was uh, like just a tiny bit before yeah, that's a bit like Shetland as well since the oil the, the Shetland is very much welcoming a certain kind of tourist so um cultural tourism I suppose so they have millions of they have more festivals than you can ever dream of. So Fiddle Frenzy and Blues Festivals and Jazz Festivals and every two years there's a film festival that Mark Camo programmes. And um, I was just up there a couple of weeks ago and it was Wool Week, so they celebrate all things knitting and spinning and dye. But literally thousands of people <laughs> from America, from Australia, from Canada, coming to learn fair knitting.
1: But I think I, I, think there's a degree to which Ireland has embraced their isolation and have to embrace their isolation i did um i did a book event on the on the isle of wight i know i know it's not the shetlands but uh i was doing a signing in one part of the island and then an event in douglas right in the capital and so somebody comes some people coming along and i'm signing books in this bookshop and and they go oh i love your books and i'm going great you're coming to the event tonight and they went no what event and i said oh doing event in douglas and they went oh no Oh no, that's not oh. too far. And I'm going, <laughs> yeah. hang on a minute, that's that's the capital. And you've and this we're not talking a huge place, the Isle of Wight. But not only have they never left the island, they've never been to the capital of the island. Ooh. And Ooh. I, I didn't think people like that actually still existed, but I, I think there are people around who go, nope, this is us, this is where we live and yeah. you know. Makes yeah. very interesting characters to write about, I think. It does, yeah, certainly. Um we we uh, we talked about the unique landscape of these places. And this is a little pet theory of mine, which which you can both now shoot down in flames, because um, I'm now going to, for the for the purposes of this <laughs> this argument, uh, I'm going to both include you in Scandi which is you know it's it's a bit of a catch-all term, and it's you know.
0: We could be yeah, like Nordic Noir. Let's call it Nordic
1: And then we got no argument. Um, but lots of people, when that kind of exploded a few years ago, lots of people were going, why? You know, why is it? And, you know, yes, blood looks very nice against snow and all that sort of stuff. But I'm convinced that one of the appeals of it is the sort of strangeness of it to those of us in Western Europe because, you know, we take our holidays, most people take their holidays in France or Spain or Italy. Northern Europe is not a part of the world we know well. And I think to see it and read about it, some people like familiarity in what they read, but I think a lot of people also like strangeness. Am I talking nonsense?
0: No, I don't think so. I think there is that love of vicarious travel. So I have a theory as well that we can understand a a culture better by reading its popular fiction. So we do understand a bit more about uh, I don't know, the the political history of Sweden and the place in the war and through reading Henning Mankel and and uh UNESCO perhaps uh, in Norway. So we, we get that sort of sense of of what what people's preoccupations are maybe. And that makes us feel like travellers rather than tourists. Right. I
2: think it's Part of it is also we're really experts at being like, like doom and gloom. That's Scandinavian mentality or Nordic mentality is this uh, knowing to appreciate
0: gloom. like appreciate it, yeah, yeah, love yeah, it. Yeah, to love it. <laughs> well, and it is dark most of the day, yeah, most yeah. of the winter, so yeah. you have to not mind the dark. No, and have you read the the
2: Moomins? I mean, they are children's books about a depressed figure. I mean, it's really, they're, they're excellent. They're great. And I remember I loved this as a child and all these... Stories growing up about uh, trolls and ogres that would eat you and all this—you know—it's it's something that's uh, ingrained, I think, into society. And and doom does have uh, does fit quite well with crime fiction.
1: I also think there's there's a slightly more political element to a lot of Nordic crime fiction than than you get in certainly in British crime fiction. You know, and then go that, going right back to Cheval and Valou, who you know they wrote political novels and used the crime novel as a way of of looking at uh, at, uh, at politics. I mean, is that is that true? Do you think yeah, generally I across? Think,
2: I think the Nordic countries are also very very preoccupied with social issues mm-hmm. uh, that constantly discuss and, and and worry about that society is you know not doing a good job for this group or the other and so on. So. So that would make sense that that would come into the to the writing, and maybe added as an element. And it quite often is.
1: Well, more from more from Anne and Issa very soon but now we come to a regular feature in which a stab in the dark's roving reporter catches up with some of those who bring us the very best crime fiction. Today we hear what happened when our man with the spyglass Paul Hirons went along to the recent Killer Women Crime Writing Festival in London where a number of crime writers found themselves marooned on the hipster island that is Shoreditch. Among the guests were Anne and I as well as Paula Hawkins, Val McDermid, Martina Cole and Shetland's
3: very own Doogie Henschel. Here's how Paul got on. (laughs) So as Mark mentioned, I went to the very first Killer Women Crime Writing Festival held at the Shoreditch Town Hall. It was a whole day stuffed with workshops hosted by agents, publishers and authors. There were special guests like Val McDermid, Martina Cole. You certainly got your money's worth. And as I found out, like most good ideas, everything starts around a table with a drink.
2: My good friend Louise Miller and I uh, got together a glass of wine.
3: That's Melanie McGrath.
2: And we thought how nice it would be to get other women crime writers together to talk about crime writing and publishing and here we are at the festival 18 months later.
3: It wasn't just Melanie behind this, she had a whole group of women around her including the likes of Sarah Hillary, Erin Kelly, Tammy Cohen, Louise Voss and Louise Miller. You also happen to be friends with another prominent crime writer right now. I am one of the you of are. the collective. Yes, from the from the beginning actually, because Louise Miller is a friend, and she told me about this crime writing group that was getting together, was sitting around drinking wine, talking books. So that sounded perfect for me. That was Paula Hawkins, author of the mega-successful *The Girl on the Train*, and Paula was also part of a panel including Louise Doughty author of, yes, another best-selling novel, Apple Tree Yard.
2: I did a terrific panel about being adapted for film and television with Paula Hawkins and S.J. Watson and Alex Marwood and it was really,
0: really good fun.
3: I preferred the book. It was such a fascinating discussion. It was great to hear from the authors, including Louise, about their experiences throughout the process.
0: Well, I had a very
2: lucky experience. I was an associate producer on the project. I went on set about once a week. I didn't do the adaptation myself. I think actually there should probably be a law. against novelists adapting their own novels but i really enjoyed watching the whole process from the sidelines i think for me you know having been writing many years to see people putting all that effort and working so hard into bringing the characters into life on screen was just really exciting
3: from start to finish. The panel's serial thrillers also examined the process that takes novels to screen and on that panel was, I don't know, some bloke called Mark Billingham, the wonderful Anne Cleves, screenwriter Gabby Shapp and the star of Shetland himself, Dougie Henshaw. Dougie provided some excellent little anecdotes about working on the Shetland Islands. The weather often comes and goes so quickly they only have like half an hour or 40 minutes to record scenes so as soon as they see a belt of weather approaching they have to get things done extremely quickly my favorite panel of the day asked the question is crime fiction misogynistic i enjoyed the panel it was interesting it was fascinating that's irish author john connolly and i was slightly nervous being perfectly honest about julie biddle because i'd read julie in in the guardian and admire her a lot and and is out a debater of, of considerable acumen. When you're 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 going into what you feel sometimes is like the arena with with um with somebody who is is that smart and that committed and that brave, um, you kind of raise your game a little bit, I think. Alongside John and Julie, there was broadcaster Indian Knight and journalist Sam Baker, who co-created the pool website. It was such a lively panel where the audience got involved and there were no real conclusions, except to say that there were so many grey areas in this question that you can keep debating this for hours. One of the lovely things about the Killer Women Festival was that there were loads of volunteers, including author Sarah Norton, whose debut book Tattle Tale is out soon.
0: Yeah, I was delighted to be involved. I, it was a sneaky way to come and meet lots of famous writers. It was nice to meet them and uh, talk to people like S. J. Watson and Paula Hawkins, and that was that was great.
3: Spot on, Sarah. I can't disagree with that. And it was lovely to see everyone mucking in. And indeed. The whole idea of Killer Women Festival that started off around a table, a bunch of friends drinking wine, to hundreds of people milling around Shoreditch Town Hall, seeing all kinds of things, plus loads of big names. It was quite an achievement. And here's Mel to wrap things up.
2: It feels a bit surreal, because it's uh, one of those things that just became, was started off as an idea and it's become real. And... Uh, here we are in a real building, um, listening to all these wonderful authors, and we made it happen, and that's fantastic. It's a fantastic feeling.
3: The Killer Women Crime Writing Festival was sponsored by Audible. Head over to audible.co.uk/killerwomen for the first ever Killer Women short story anthology. That was Paul Hirons there at the Killer Women Festival. Now, the festival
1: circuit is something we're, the three of us are all familiar with. Uh, we could probably attend a festival a week uh, if we weren't so busy, you know, writing books and stuff. Um, do you enjoy them? I mean, writing is a very solitary activity, but do you like going out and, and meeting readers and so on? Oh, yeah,
0: I do. I do. And me, yeah. And, and if you get a chance to travel somewhere interesting, that's even better, isn't it? I love Iceland Noir, which is Iceland's crime festival
1: yeah so you've been to iceland that was excellent what, yeah and is that when you really see the, the 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 similarities between the two places or the differences?
2: yes i mean it was my first time there and i was very surprised at how how similar everything was i mean there are no trees like you say which is very typical icelandic the farming seemed to be similar not not so very much crops yeah. yeah yeah and uh and also downtown there was this Insignia, like police, and it said, skal land which is exactly the same as the Icelandic police. It means you build a country with laws, regulations, you know. And I, and that was, I think, I don't know what language that was. I mean, was that, it Icelandic? That
0: was, no, I think that was Old Norn, which is the Viking language that, again, Iceland and Shetland shares a Viking tradition. Yeah. And the myth is that the Vikings came to Shetland... And they took all the beautiful women with them to Iceland. And that's why Icelandic women are very beautiful and Shetland women aren't. Oh, they are. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't know whether we want to get into this. No. <laughs> uh,
0: that's, that's the story. But
1: they are such perfect places to set crime novels yes. in. I mean, you know, people talk when they discuss crime fiction a lot about that sense of place and how the landscape is very important. And it's, there couldn't be something more perfect to write about than, than landscapes like that.
0: So it is. It's absolutely perfect. And it is, I think, that open landscape contrasted with and contrasted with um, small croft kitchens, which are warm and cozy inside, and you've got the wind outside. And it's like like children's stories, isn't it? We're going back to Enid Blyton and Famous Five, that if you're inside and you've got that hum of a spinning wheel because somebody's spinning, and you've got talking, and Shetland certainly has a... A brilliant musical tradition so you've probably got someone playing a fiddle somewhere and that just that atmosphere is right for telling stories and it's where you know it's where legends and I don't know if you have myths and legends too but in Shetland we have the trows who are the little people who live under the ground and the trows will lure good musicians under the ground and and they play for their parties and when they come back, they think they've just been gone for a night. So they're just but, quite uh,
1: short, sort of booking agents, really. Yeah. That's all they are. <laughs> yeah. they're, not, they're not scary, are they? It's not uh, no, like, not, it's come here up. with your ukulele, yeah. come down this tunnel. But when
0: you get back, a hundred years has passed and all your ah. family is dead. Yeah. yeah. So. And your
1: real record's dropped out of the charts.
0: <laughs> a bit like that. <laughs> yeah. So what are, we uh, have not
1: the hidden people. Oh, it the hidden people. Yeah, the hidden well, people.
2: It's still it's still the same. Yeah, except you don't come back. Yeah, they entice you by being beautiful. So, so you go, you know, chase them because they're so beautiful, and then they take you into the earth, and,
0: and you don't come back. All right, no, you, you know, the trows will let you go, but so much time has passed.
1: Oh my God. I, I was quite looking forward to going to these places, and now I'm a little yeah, bit scared. No. What have we got? You killer clowns. Got. Killer. You
0: have to be a brilliant musician, though. Mark. Oh right,
1: they don't take any old any old busker with a with a harmonica doing Streets of London. They're not interested. Sorry. Well, we've we, we've talked a lot about the islands themselves uh, in, in in physical terms, but there's also the metaphorical kind of island which I want to talk about a bit. The, the notion of you know prisons self imposed displacement. Um, Shows like Orange is the New Black and The Night Of are are good recent examples, I think, of shows where we see how incarceration can have a profound social and psychological effect. Do you think there's a link between them? Yeah, I
2: think It's fine to live in a small society if you have a good reputation, but if you do something, if you, for example, you know, put in prison or something, it's quite difficult to because you can't get away from it. Everybody will know always this bad reputation, no matter how hard you try to clean it up and so on. So that's also sort of a
0: minus. Yeah, you Would, can't be anonymous in, a, in an island. No. Right, it's which, which, is, which I think is anonymous.
1: a really interesting thing to write about. I, I mean, I, I wrote mostly about a big city where it's easy to be anonymous, where almost everybody is anonymous, which has some advantages and some disadvantages. But the idea that you can't be, where secrets are almost impossible, and you know, secrets are our bread and butter all the time, I mean, that's… That's really interesting. But I think
0: in small communities, don't you think? And certainly the smaller of the Shetland Islands, because it's an archipelago and there are lots of inhabited islands. In the smaller islands, there are secrets that everybody knows but nobody talks about because you need privacy. You can't you can't be bitching about your neighbour all the time because there will be a time when you absolutely need them. I can remember being on Fair Isle, which is the small island that I know best. And um, one of the women had a difficult pregnancy and and we had to get an ambulance flight out. So in the middle of the night, everybody on the island was out building bonfires along the airstrip so that the plane could get in. And you can't fall out with your neighbours on Mm. a place like that. So even if you dislike them intensely, you, you don't... Bitch about them too dramatically because you're going to need them.
1: Yeah. Oh, I'm not They're building good. a bonfire because you didn't bring <laughs> my lawnmower back. Or they would yeah. the
0: put the bonfire so the plane goes <laughs> into the ocean. You do have to be, you, you know, that you're, uh, it is quite physically real that your survival might depend on your neighbor coming and fishing you out of the water if you've had an accident with a boat or help, just small things like. Everybody in Farrell comes together to round up their hill sheep for clipping. And and it's not something you could do on your own. So it is a very communal. So you don't fall out with people big style.
1: Little style, though, occasionally. Yeah, I mean, are there little feuds that go down oh, yes. through generations and Ob- stuff? Obviously,
0: there are, there, are, you know, you, there are people that you get on with and people you don't. But you know that that if the island is a community, if you've got 50 people on a small island, they're going to have to get on. Just things like you've all somebody's got to turn up when the plane comes in because you need a fire engine there to before it can land so you need a, enough people to to make a fire crew and you need enough people to keep the roads maintained and go back to your lighthouse you need people to man the lighthouse so yeah. it's it's about really strong interdependence which is is very interesting again to write about
1: how do you think your your characters how would thora and jimmy cope with prison, cope with physical, straightforward, physical, obvious isolation? Would would it, would having an island mentality make you more uh, able to deal with that kind of isolation?
2: Probably. Probably. I'm not suggesting
1: either of you should do this, no. by the way, that with your characters.
2: Could, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> That'd well, be one I'll way of ending the series.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> no, I think, I mean, Icelandic prisons aren't really... You know, horrible places. They're they're uh, not nice places. Nobody wants to go to prison, but they're not. Uh, you know, they're not in, in the way you see these prisons in America and, and that type of thing. They're they're much more relaxed and, and actually trying to make people better people.
1: Do you have Do you have the equivalent of the sort of Do you have the Reykjavik Daily Mail going? These places are like bloody holiday
2: camps. No, they're but not you, tough enough. Th- no, we have nothing like that. But we do have people like putting comments under. You know, because they just built a new prison. And uh, a lot of the comments under were, were, were things like this. Of course, people think this until you have someone maybe close to you that goes to prison. Then people very quickly change their mind. And uh, our sentences aren't very tough. So, really? so for murder, you always get, always, 16 years. And you're out in like uh, maybe 12 to 14 You'll be on the street again. So
1: there's no such thing as a life sentence? No, in, I,
2: no, in life, life sentences is 16 years. I don't know how life, they... Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. well, life doesn't always mean life no. anywhere else, of course. But
0: I think Jimmy would hate prison. I think it would be that claustrophobia. I think if you... All you know is those very long low horizons. Just not being able to see out, not to be able to see to the end would be dreadful. I think it would be Well, also, of course he might
1: find himself in prison with people... Who he'd been instrumental in, in putting in there? Yeah, yeah, and that's never easy, is it? No. They, they always have to that's put right. those characters on kind of vulnerable prisoners' units, right. don't they? Yeah. Um, we we've seen a lot on on TV shows like like Fortitude and Trapped, the idea that developers moving into the sort of places we've been talking about are perceived as invaders. This idea of an invasion, um, and even though uh, some of the people that live on, on on islands complain about living there, they might, you know. W- Envy people who live anywhere else. There's a very fierce kind of tribal loyalty to the place Islanders live, which you don't tend to see in in you know uh, a metropolitan city or or even in a bit of, of of rural Britain. You don't see sort of people going you know I'll fight till my dying breath for yeah. the Cotswolds.
0: I think I think Shetlanders certainly because there's a history of of people coming in because of the fishing, because lots and lots of Shetlanders. Went to the merchant navy. That strangers are actually made more welcome than they are in in other tight, remote communities in in you know in in England. I think because they used to they they they've always needed people from outside to come in and work with them. Whether it was whalers or whether it was um, people coming in to work the herring, so they they're very used to new people, and I think they actually assimilate them much better. than than small enclosed communities in the mainland do.
1: Before we wrap up, we're going to have some recommendations uh, from both of you in terms of of stuff to watch and stuff to read, but first just uh, what you both have coming up in the future, what's coming next for you? Uh,
2: The next book coming out in English is the first book in my new series Called The Legacy, and that will be out in March.
1: That's the book that's nestling in my bag as yes, I speak. Yes, yeah. We have copies of it. Uh, and that's, so that's a new series. That's, that's a new
2: series that's done really well. It was nominated to, for The Glass Key, the, okay. the, this one that's coming out in March. And, uh, and it's now doing really well in Germany. It just came out there, and, and, and I think people like it. It has uh, a, a policeman
0: and a child psychologist working together.
1: Fantastic. What about you, Anne? We know, so the last Perez book,
0: Yeah, not for two years, though, because I alternate with Vera. So I've got a new Vera book will be coming out next year that I'm just finishing. Uh, New series of Shetland starts filming in the spring. So if people enjoyed the show, they'll they'll get another one of those. And new series of Vera has just stopped filming. So that'll be on in the new year. You are queen of television queen of television. I know. I think people probably follow me with knives and stick, stick <laughs> no. pins in my image late at night. I would if, if no, it, it Anne. It's great. That's fantastic.
1: Now, as promised, in each episode, we ask our guests to bring along their recommendations for a good read and a good watch. Specifically this week, uh, when it comes to our theme of island crime, who wants to go first? Anne. I'm pointing at you. So, Anne, what about a book that you'd recommend?
0: I think then for just Fun and warmth in the winter, Uh, one of Andrea Camilleri's Montalbano books, because they're set in Sicily, and you get a bit of politics, but mostly it's about food and good wine and sunshine.
1: We can't argue with that. What about something to watch?
0: Um... I I don't think I've got an island, but I have got translated books because we're talking about travel and translated television. And I think I was really into Spiral, the French TV show. And I've watched all those and it's dark and it's gritty. And you see a Paris that you don't see anywhere else, I think. And I really, really enjoyed Spiral. Fantastic. I love the characters. a, A book. A book.
2: I would say I would recommend Ragnar Jónasson's series. That's yes. From dark, I think I think the, the title of the series is Dark Iceland. And then there's a new author coming out, maybe sometime next year, called Lilja Sigurdóttir. We share the same last name. so And uh, I'm not sure. I think it's called The Trap. I would okay. recommend that one as well. Okay. And, yeah.
1: And what about Something to Watch?
2: Something to Watch? Watch Trapped Series 2. Yes. Yeah, which will be coming. I don't know next year probably as well. I helped them with the storyline, so I'm, I'm. Oh right. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, which we is certainly which yeah. some great <laughs> recommendations yeah.
1: there uh, from Anne and Ursa, and you can find details of the books on on the website. Um, well, that's about it for this episode of a Stab in the Dark. We've learned why islands are fantastic places to set crime stories in, both on the page and on the screen, and what it's really like to live in Iceland. You can find out more about a Stab in the Dark, along with articles and some great book competitions, at uktv.co.uk/stabinthedark, or you can get in touch with us on Twitter, hashtag Stab in the Dark. Oh, and don't forget to review us on your podcast app. Go on, do it now. But if you can't say something nice, don't say anything. That would be mean. So with that, it is a huge thank you to my guests, Anne Cleves and Iersa Sigurdadotir. Oh, I messed up the fine. pronunciation. I've fine. been doing so
0: well, haven't yeah. I, Iersa, yeah. up until I that point, And yeah. then
1: <laughs> right at the end, I'm going to yeah. try that again. A huge thank you to my guests, Anne Cleves, And here we go. Iersa Ah, right, There thank you, you go. And our producers, Sam Pearson and Paul Hirons. My name's Mark Billingham. And until the next episode, when I'll be back with more fantastic guests, thank you for listening